Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Michael Bird and Brad Adotto, legal team for AmSpa. Welcome, everybody, to Medical Spa Insider, the podcast of the American Med Spa Association. This is Alex Tiersch, and today uh, we like to, from time to time, bring on the AmSpa hotline two of our favorite lawyers, uh, two of the top five lawyers in the country when it comes to aesthetics. We're not going to really go into, into who's who, but Michael Bird and Brad Adato, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. And, and Alex, thanks again for installing this red phone in our office that automatically rings when you need us. I really appreciate that. Yeah. No, of course. Well, you know, sometimes um, Patrick, you know, who we keep in the in the basement locked up reviewing um, um, laws, sometimes he has to eat and things. When that happens, we want to make sure we have immediate access to answers. So that's why that was installed. So I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for being, for having us on and, and really thanks for including Brad in that top five. I know he would have had a hard time if you didn't kind of figure out a way to shoehorn him in. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, you have to read the terms and conditions um, and we'll see how that falls. Um, so um, as I mentioned, we, you know, the, obviously one of the, the, the thing that, that, that has made AmSpa different and and has allowed us to kind of start and, and thrive and grow is is the fact that we focus heavily on legal and compliance and making sure that folks are um, compliant and doing things the right way and safe. And so we like to bring um, folks from Bernadotto on every now and again and just kind of get a get an idea of what the lay of the landscape is, what's what's happening, what you all are seeing as far as uh, trends, um, th- things that are that are are happening across the country that folks uh, might want to be aware of. And then specifically today. So I, I, I do want to get a quick, um, a, a quick update from you guys. Uh, just a quick update is what's going on. What, what, what's, what's ringing the bells at, at Bertadato. And then more specifically, we're going to get into, um, IV therapy and some of the, the, the tricky compliance issues that we're seeing around, all of these IV therapy bars that are popping up, we have had a um, a ton of interest. We get questions, date multiple questions daily about IV therapy, both mobile IV therapy bars, uh, just adding IV therapy to a, to a med spa, starting a standalone IV therapy, um, and and one of the things that that I don't want to bury the lead here, but one of the things that I'm seeing is that they're popping up very quickly, and 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 I think it's it's. There's a bit of a false sense of security that because it's, quote, only, unquote, an IV bar, there's not as much to worry about. But I think from some of the things that we've seen, um, we want to we want to make sure that we we give folks the true lowdown on, on on what's going on legally with these things. But before we get to that, um, Brad, Michael, tell me, like, what's, um, you know, give me the the top one or, or two things that you're seeing. You know, here we are in, in going into fall of 2022. What's what's kind of on your radar as far as compliance issues in aesthetics? Well, the winner by far and away in 2022 for med spas is private equity coming into med spas or as we call it on the legal end, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. And it's not just the number of clients, uh, both on the buyer side and the seller side, calling us with interest. It's informing almost every conversation we're having, even with people starting their med spas, where you know, talk, they're asking questions about how being compliant at the front end impacts their you know potential sale to an M&A. I mean, inevitably... 
we get that question in every call and people are more and more saying, I want to build it up and sell to private equity as part right. of their strategy. Yeah, and, and I'd add to that is, what, three or four years ago, as we all know, private equity was kind of somewhat interested in this space. Mm-hmm. And now I, I don't think we can take a call and not, obviously, as Michael said, give great advice explaining what that looks like. And then secondarily, the number of private equity that is now then actively pursuing these this space, especially the aesthetic space, because it was so hot um, for so long and went so much, as we said, dry powder sitting on the sidelines during COVID, they're ready to be deployed, which yeah. I think kind of, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I was going to say, are, are we seeing um, active transactions occurring? Because we've been talking about M&A for a long time. And even at the MSS last year, we did the M&A Summit. We're doing it again this year, by the way, quick plug for that. But it's always been kind of, oh, there's this gathering, you know, storm on the horizon. But we're seeing, now we're seeing, we're seeing deals closing. Isn't that right? I mean, our firm alone is probably doing a four deals a month right now in that space, just on the aesthetic side. Um, there are other, obviously other deals that are out there, but that just shows you where the number has accelerated massively in the aesthetic industry that we weren't seeing just a year ago. Yeah, and what's interesting is you asked actually asked the question at the beginning about what's hot in compliance, and actually this kind of M&A theme out there is making people more interested and willing to become compliant or mm-hmm. to start being compliant from the beginning. And yeah. so it's making these conversations a lot easier because they know they need to be set up correctly to have a good exit. Which actually, and I'll tell you the other hot piece, and this is a hat tip to ANSPA, is that when we are speaking with individuals who learn that they're non-compliant, they are already well-versed on what is an MSO mm-hmm. and they want to grow their practice and scale their practice and realize they're non-compliant before we actually generally speak to them now. And so that's the other hot topic that I know that Michael and I deal with a lot is trying to understand how do I then with my current structure add in this MSO, what are the things I need to do to be compliant so that I can then position myself for that next level transaction, hopefully to sell off to a bigger group or obviously private equity. And I know that for at least for Michael and I, when we first started speaking with people in the aesthetic market seven years ago now, however long it's been, it was no one knew what an MSO was. Yeah. And so that's a a great uh, hat tip to ANSPA for doing such a good job of making sure that your members understood what that model looks like and how it acts. Yeah. And obviously, they're still then, they need a pen and paper, the form and substance for their particular organization. But that's been an interesting conversation that Michael and I actually just had recently about how much more informed your members are than they have ever been in the past. Yeah, I would agree. I I noticed that, too. Um, You know, it's interesting, though, some on some issues like MSOs um, and corporate structure, there, there tends to be a lot more. Um, awareness than in some other issues. Like we're still seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, we see some, some comp issues that are, that are issues. We see some, you know, some of the supervision and delegation issues pop up. Um, those are still things we need to work on as far as awareness, but you're absolutely right. When I go to speak and I do a, do our boot camps, people tend to know what we're talking about. Whereas even two years ago, I would say, who knows what an MSO is or who knows what corporate practice of medicine is. And nobody would have any idea. Now that's, that's not the case. Um, so I, 
I, you know, I, I appreciate that point. Um, and, and, and any comments you have on that, but then also what types of, of businesses are, are in aesthetics are being acquired? Are we talking med spas, you know, single owned med spas, med spa chains, are these plastic surgery offices? What's kind of the, what's the, 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 the view from, from your side as far as that goes? Can we check all of the above? Yes, you can. That's, that's, okay. that's definitely yeah. one of the answers. Yeah. It, it's, it's been really interesting because I know that originally a lot of times it was the scaling size, but they're just looking for large practices. And I think even a few years ago, Michael, we were just seeing that it was only on the med spa space, especially with uh, plastic surgeons were out of that loop. That has shifted massively in the last uh, 12 to 14 months now. Plastic surgeons are in that loop. And then just the acquisition to just the, the regular mom and pops now are, are, are happening where it's this one location or maybe even two. And maybe your your thoughts too. Yeah, no, definitely uh, all of the above. And I mean, there's there's really no template yet on. And mm-hmm. I just had a call this morning with uh, a group that's private equity backed, and they're planning to add uh, twenty locations a year over the next two years, and they're doing them all de novo. They're not buying any of them, mm. and you haven't really seen that in at least yeah. the last 12 months yeah that's true i agree with and you. Uh, and so there's you know i don't think the there's a a magic solution yet uh, i think everyone's still trying to figure out the best way to do it and ultimately i think the biggest challenge to successfully scaling is is getting and keeping really good people to treat the patients yep yeah it's it, it's interesting because the the it's almost like we're watching the evolution of this M and A side, kind of right before our our eyes. And um, but I'm curious, why all of a sudden, Brad? You mentioned you know plastic surgeons in the last year have been kind of added to this to this group of of businesses that are being rolled up. Um, why plastic surgery all of a sudden? What's happened, if anything, that's that's caused that as opposed to what happened before? It- so number one, I think there's a comfort level that private equities started to figure out how if I bring on a physician, how long does that physician need to be a part of it? Or number two, I also think they realize that 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 surgeon side is a feeder either way, right? If I'm just doing the non-invasive, and that term we know is means medical, if I'm just doing non-surgical services, well, eventually the patient will will need that surgery, and on the surgical side. As you know, eventually that person's going to need maintenance. And so they, the private equity we've talked to has figured this out and realizes there's a magic number of, of plastic surgeons to med spa locations they want to build up to actually build up. So, so is it is it the kind of the med spa market that's driving surgeons being acquired? No, I my this is my theory, but this I there's kind of this movement that's out there that I think people can resonate with. It's you know, you hear the name one where it's like one medical or uh, mm. there's actually we talked to a, a spine surgeon. There's a one spine movement. But it's basically this idea of integrated healthcare, Right. And you bring different disciplines together under one roof. There's efficiencies, et cetera. And so I think that you're seeing private equity identify multiple revenue streams that can kind of work well together and fit into sure. this one big puzzle, this integrated practice. I had a, a call two days ago and the doctor's big vision is this wellness center, which 
doesn't mean a lot. And then he starts talking about it. And he's like, he wants chiropractor, naturopath, medical spa, um, you know, IV therapy, all these different kind of related disciplines where, you know, a patient can come for this one experience. Yeah, um, I've seen that too, and that's I. I think that's that's cool. I think we'll see how that that, that catches on. I, you know, I, it's with 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 most industries with private equity. We've seen this with dental and you know, chiropractors. It, it's almost like there's two stages to to the to kind of the at least two stages to the process. There's there's right now there's some of these these mom and pops and and, and surgery centers and smaller groups that are being uh, by groups I mean multiple locations but but not you know fifty just only four that are being kind of rolled up and then there's the the massive private equity companies are still sitting on the sidelines kind of watching waiting for some of this consolidation to happen and then they're going to come in and do like even more consolidation is that what you're seeing too and and what's your what's your view on when and if that's going to start to happen I think. I think the big roll-ups are probably five years out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, everyone's going for the first round and they're trying to build up the bigger exit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. I think this is an exciting time. And just as a reminder for folks who are listening, we are at Medical Spa Show, which is February 1st through 2nd through 5th or 1st through 4th. I should know this by heart, but I don't. It's one of those dates. Uh, we are doing, along with our friends at Skytail Group, we're doing a, a Medical Spa um, M&A Summit. So we're going to have a bunch of folks, including these two fine gentlemen from Bertadato, talking about um, the different things that we have to do for mergers and acquisitions, as well as financing, due diligence, things like that. It's a, it was a great event last year. I encourage everyone to come. It's, it's the Thursday beforehand and it's free to anyone who, who, who registers. So, um, by the way, guys, you, you were at that last year. I, I thought, you know, from a, from a, uh, kind of a, just a, an informational, um, standpoint, that was an, an incredible group of speakers and a bunch of information that we got out of that. I, I was really impressed with, with that. What, what did you guys think? You were, you were involved in it more than I was even. I was impressed that y'all let me hold the microphone as long as y'all did. Uh, it was that was that was that was kind of part of the original contract. We we could have if we could have gotten more room. And we I didn't. We didn't record that part. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, to your point, Alex, um, it was incredible for those who want to go look at the agenda. But the way it was built up by understanding the accounting, the legal aspects that you have to understand just to get going in the space, and then to bring in the different players in the industry who then work through that. Obviously, we had uh, uh, people who go out and, and, and broker it itself, like, like Skytel. We yep. had people then who were the private equity side who then wants to go buy them. And then we had individuals who had been a part of that yeah. um, process of scaling and building their, their businesses. So it was, to me, it was a great story in the sense of, of starting from scratch all the way to the point of, of being able to be purchased by private equity. But I know that from other individuals we spoke with, uh, besides me with my mic, who really got a lot out of it. Yeah, that was cool. So, okay, let's 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 transition over to the reason I wanted to do this podcast uh, in the first place, which is IV therapy. And uh, I know you all have had a, a lot of experience with this as well, um, with clients that are coming into Bertadato. It's it's an interesting space. Obviously, it's it's not new. Uh, you know, we've had I, there's been IV components to med spas for years and years and years. It just seems like all of a sudden in the past. 18 months or so really 
post pandemic, it's just, there's been this explosion of folks who, who want to get into it. And it's, which is, you know, we, we can talk about kind of the business aspects of it if you want, but it's interesting to me because it's not necessarily the highest margins that you're going to get. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, the, there, there's a business model there, but what we used to see back in the old days, five years ago was folks would have IV therapy, um, bars or chairs in their, in their med spas, but it was kind of used as a way to get them seated so they could sell other, other products. Now we're starting to see kind of standalone clinics that are just IV bars that are opening up, you know, trying to do 20, 30, 50, a hundred locations, the mobile side, obviously as well. And this is, you know, it's, it's exploding. And, and, and we talked a little bit about this before we jumped on and, and I would love both of your, your opinions on this and we'll get into the why in a second. But um, to me, um, I, it's exciting. Obviously, I, I, anything that that is going to help help folks be able to to provide additional um, uh, services, I think, is good. However, I for whatever reason, and I haven't really put my finger on this because we haven't seen a ton of enforcement yet, as far as I know. For whatever reason, I'm getting a little bit nervous about the IV bars that are popping up and just kind of the way that some of them are doing it, not necessarily that they're blatantly non-compliant, but simply the speed with which they're opening and expanding. And, and, and some of the things that I hear folks say, you know, you've got paramedics who want to be able to do it. You've got, you know, you've got all sorts of folks who are doing it and it's just, it's making me a little bit nervous and, and, and I'm trying to put my finger on why. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was, was to kind of straighten that up, but give me your general thoughts on, on the frothiness of this industry and, and what, what you think is number one, it, it, what's, what's behind it from, from your conversations, if you can share. And then number two, am I, am I correct in feeling a little bit nervous about this? And, what, and then we'll get into some of the compliance issues. Well, I'll start by saying this and don't record this part, but okay. Brad is actually the guru on IV therapy, he wrote an article about five years ago that, at least in our world, went viral. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> so we get a ton of phone calls over the years, um, and and most of them asking for Brad. And after we correct them, <laughs> then no, just just he does obviously know a ton about this. And and I so my perspective on this is that this is a different, the people that are starting these IV bars is a different set of people than the group that kind of got interested in starting a med spa. So it's the EMTs, it's the nurses that worked in a hospital setting. Um, and they, they are people that have put IVs in, in whatever their practice is that they're doing, whether it's in an ambulance or in a hospital setting and seeing this as an opportunity. And so uh, there is a general lack of compliance awareness, which is probably what you're thinking about. Because when we talk to them, you know, routinely, there is uh, a lack of understanding about the corporate practice of medicine and scope of practice issues. And to, in their defense, scope of practice issues is super confusing in the private practice setting versus what they've experienced. So right. if you're an EMT... In an ambulance, you have the ability to stick an IV in someone. If you're in a hospital and you have standing orders, you don't have to go and go through all these hoops to put the IV in a patient. And uh, and then they come into this other world, and it's different. And I'm sure Brad can kind of expand on that, What what um, why is different in the private practice setting versus these settings. Yeah. First off, I agree with everything Michael said, especially the part about me being awesome. 
But sec- the the part that, that you were, you nailed is they've learned from a, a qualification perspective that how to administrate and start this, and, and put it into an IV. And so because they've had that training, they perceive that it can then just as easily be moved into another location in the sense of being in a home or a hotel room or in the back of their van or whatever it is, right. not realizing that there's a license involved. There's a physician over, overseeing them. There's a type of protocols put in place based on that particular license. And they don't um, take that scope of, a, of, of understanding and then apply it to the private world. So I'll give a better example. So um, in many states, an RN, if you read their scope of practice, they can actually, without any authority, um, take a, a physical examination or a person take their general history and actually start an IV. Mm-hmm. The catch though is that's where it stops. So it does talk about what you're putting, what solution you're actually putting into the IV. It's actually mm-hmm. piercing the skin and starting the line. Now, after that, if you speak with most RNs who are working in hospitals, I ask the follow-up question. Well, how do you know what to put in the bag? Oh, the physician has ordered me to, based on these things, to start a bag with this and to add a b or c by injecting it in there mm-hmm. well that's that's where it shifts where a lot of people don't realize that you've now taken something and put it in a liquid liquid form obviously that's intravenous and then and because it's going through that person's body intravenously it has to be go through the same order that you typically would with a good faith exam by that physician nurse practitioner pa which i know we've talked about in other episodes the other pushback we immediately get when we talk about this like brad you don't understand. I can go to any vitamin store and most of the stuff we're adding is some type of vitamin supplement and they can just buy it over the counter. So mm-hmm. completely concur, except that you're not telling them to go take a vitamin C. You're actually injecting it into their body. Right. And that's where everything shifts. And so the, the very first piece is understanding just because you can doesn't mean you can. Yeah. And, and I, this goes back to, you mentioned earlier it being a, a low margin business. I think that that puts a lot of pressure from a compliance perspective mm-hmm. on this being viable. Yes. Uh, you take people that are starting their first business for the most part that they've ever started. And then at the 11th hour, you know, their dream is getting crushed because they realize they need physician oversight, which costs money, or they need a different type of provider to be there, which costs money. And all of a sudden it's a decision of, okay, am I going to do this correctly and not be able to make money or do it non-compliantly and try to make a go of it? And, uh, and so I think that that's the, why things are headed that way. And I mm-hmm. think that uh, my concern beyond that is that even when they get in there and they're doing it non-compliantly, there's going to be pressures to maintain rent and have the type of volume to make it work that they're going to want to add additional services. Well, mm-hmm. guess what those are going to be? They're going to be med spa type services. And those could end up being kind of double down on your risk if those aren't then staffed correctly. Hey folks, this is Alex Tiersch, and I would love to give a quick shout out to our sponsors of this podcast, Well Received. Real patient care starts with the first hello. Are you sending your patients to voicemail or forcing them to navigate confusing phone menus? Are they chatting with bots? Well-received will ensure your patients reach a caring, compassionate person every call or chat. 
Well-Received is a team of real medical receptionists available 24-7 to answer your patient calls and chats. Well-Received is there for your patients, whether they're calling in the middle of the night, asking about services on Facebook Messenger, or scheduling an appointment. When you partner with Well-Received, your patients will always get the VIP treatment. Every Well-Received plan comes with a suite of software tools, from chat widgets to online appointment booking pages to video conferencing apps. Most importantly, Well-Received services are completely HIPAA compliant, so you can rest assured that your patient health information is securely stored. The best part, you can keep in touch with your clients and team from anywhere with the Well-Received mobile app, available for Android and iOS. View your messages in real time, listen to call recordings, chat with your staff, and even call patients from your business line. Or set your status to unavailable and trust your patients are in good hands with the well-received team. Listeners of Medical Spot Insider can get their first three months of service for $10 a month. There are no hidden fees, you won't be locked into a contract, and you can upgrade or downgrade your plan at any time. Visit www.wellreceived.com forward slash AMSPA to find out more and redeem this exclusive offer. That's www.wellreceived.com forward slash AMSPA. Because real care is a people thing. Hey folks, Alex Tiersch here, and I wanted to give a quick thank you to our sponsors for this podcast, RepeatMD. Here's a few questions for you. Have you felt the effects of inflation in your practice? Are you prepared in case we experience a recession? These questions are worth asking to remind you that you need a strategy. You also need a solution. And that solution is RepeatMD. RepeatMD can help your practice not only survive, but thrive during a recession by increasing two of the most important elements of any med spa's success, patient retention and new patient referrals. In fact, the average practice with RepeatMD gets 82 new patient referrals within the first 90 days of signing up. But that's not all. Most importantly, RepeatMD increases your revenue by selling memberships and treatments from your own custom app. RepeatMD builds your aesthetic practice its own mobile rewards app. Think of it like Starbucks rewards built specifically for your own aesthetic practice. RepeatMD has generated $131 million in new revenue this year alone for their MedSpot clients. Just imagine how easy it is to order a latte or a cup of coffee from the Starbucks app. That's how easy it'll be for your patients to buy a treatment or a membership from your practice using RepeatMD. Well over a thousand med spas now use RepeatMD, and it's for good reason. Make sure to check them out at repeatmd.com amspa to book a quick product demonstration. You'll receive 50% off your purchase for being a listener of Medical Spa Insider. That's repeatmd.com slash amspa, repeatmd.com slash amspa. I want to back up and talk, um, Brad, about what you mentioned, um, specifically with respect to nurses, but it's, you know, it's LPNs and other things. So most, most RNs, specifically in a hospital setting or in an ambulatory surgery setting or a urgent care setting, um, they, you know, somebody comes in, they can, without, you know, too much, worrying too much, can feel comfortable. They can start an IV with certain things that are kind of ordered in their, in their standing orders. Um, and, 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 and they do it probably every day and they do it without incident probably all the time too. Um, what, like, and, and I understand that the, the, that, that there's a difference when you're talking about the type of things that you're putting into it, but it, yeah. 
isn't the bottom line that once you have your own, or is it, I should, I should ask you this, is it that you have your own place, whether it's mobile or, or, a, or a brick and mortar, and, and you start doing this, it, it, it's like, what's the difference between doing it in your own place versus doing it in a hospital or doing it, because, because there's distinction there. And then there's also the distinction of, you know, you're mixing an IV bag, but, but just, just the virtue of uh, the, the ability to insert an IV, yes, they can do it, but are they allowed to do it just, you know, on their own if, with a standing order in a med spa? Or, or how does that work? That makes yeah, sense. so a lot of uh, when I have these conversations, a lot of owners, it's, you know, it goes back to some kind of where Michael is going, the risk side of all these things, right? So if I'm an RN and I do this all day long, and let's pretend I'm in a state where I don't have to have a doctor in the room to supervise me to actually actually um, to start the IV, because some states, the doctor or nurse practitioner, sorry, has to be on site. So let's let's exclude those states. Well, now we're in a situation where, okay, I'm just giving them fluid. I'm not compounding anything to it. I didn't have a doctor's order. I didn't have a doctor look at this person, but I did a general wellness exam, a physical examination, and I just gave them some type of fluid. How would the nursing board view that if they were, if I was doing it? Would I, they act as if I was outside the scope of my authority? And so that's the first question you always have to figure out. And so I do have some nurses who have spoken to nursing boards like, oh, they say I can do that if I just do an IV bag. Mm -hmm. They think that's fine. Great. Get it in writing. Mm -hmm. I have never gotten it in writing, by the way, Mm -hmm. Um, because they'll they'll call up and they'll say, oh, yeah, because if you read the rules, it talks about starting the IV line. So now we're just talking about the risk. Number one is the risk to their license. That's Mm -hmm. really the the main thing. And obviously patient safety. I'm assuming these people have done it so many times. Patient safety has been a low end. But now I want to grow my practice and I I've, I've have a system of just me doing this out of my car or out of a truck. And how do I scale that as an RN? And then guess what? As you know, Alex and Michael, as I scale, more people are going to start looking at me. Now, I built an entire business model out of something that most likely could be considered non-compliant again, depending on our state. And now how do I scale that? And that makes it even harder because, as Michael said, now to scale this, I actually have to spend money doing it correct. And I don't have the platform that I, that I built it so cheap and so easy because it was just me. And I just waived all the risk on me, on, on me being able to just put a bag on somebody. Well, and is it, is it, so in some states, is it okay for an RN to just start an IV bag with fluids that's got, that's got nothing besides, you know, saline or whatever on her own? I yeah, I can't find I've never, I don't have a state that talks about starting the fluids. I, it all talks about the um, starting an IV. Starting an IV. Okay. Yeah. And so the next question is, how does the nursing board then view what I put into that IV line? Right. Because right. that's what the way it's described. Right. Once I, once I put that fluid in, is that the low, you know, let's go back to our, you know, Michael's really good at this risk discussion, but it really goes back to, is it a high risk if I'm just giving this person fluid? Well, it can be. Um, if, if there's some other, you know, especially as we all know, marathon runners, they, they had too much fluid in their system. Also, you're giving them more fluid. Now, now they're going to go that you can actually damage the body. But low scale, right, on the wrist side. But then I'm going to bring Michael on the wrist piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that pe- people love it when we talk about things being gray. And this is because it's so it, it's new in terms of the law in, in this context, which is. I'm going to have a business that is a standalone and I'm going to elect to come get an IV. It's just, it's counter 
to how it's historically been. Um, and so I think that uh, our read in most states is that the collective of doing an IV therapy treatment is going to be considered the practice of medicine mm -hmm. that's going to fall into it. Do we acknowledge that there is a possibility it could be determined that it could be okay and within a nurse's scope of practice? Yes. And in some respects, um, depending on what's in the IV, as Brad said, um, I think it makes some degree of sense if that were to be the case. But, um, you know, that's hopes are not a way to build a business. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about going back to Brad's pushing it back to me on the risk side of things, I mean, you know, everyone has their own risk tolerances. And if you're starting a business and you're a risk taker and, you know, you're like, I'm a nurse, I've been doing this for, you know, X number of years, I'm excellent at it, I'm just putting in saline um, or just saline and vitamins and then and you can rest your head on the pillow at night knowing that um you know if the nursing board comes a knocking you can uh deal with it and go through with it and it's not gonna you know uh curtail your uh curtail you mm -hmm. from an anxiety and worry perspective and then you have other people that uh the thought of you know who's going to come knocking on my door almost can create this paranoia and they would rather be the conservative and do it the correct way. And uh, and so I do think if you're thinking about what makes it risky, Brad's identified it. It's what's in the IV bag. And as, you know, you add things to it and the more prescriptive it becomes, the more, uh, you know, you, your risk goes up. Yeah, I want to add one more thing to that, mm -hmm. that on the risk side is – the moment you go from a brick and mortar to the, the traveling salesman, mm -hmm. where you go again to homes, fraternity houses, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> understand you're now moving the certain products that have to be kept at a certain temperature. You have a whole bunch of issues with uh, needles and disposables that you would not have otherwise thought of. And then obviously last but, but not certainly at least is the privacy concerns as to how are you making sure that you're maintaining someone's privacy. Um, mm -hmm. As you go do this at a hotel, whatever, or, or, or wherever you go to, to, to render these services. So understand each element you keep adding, it makes it riskier. Doesn't mean, again, to Michael's point, number one, it's illegal. Or number two, that um, you, you can't have some leeway. And again, we're just talking about RNs and LVNs or, um, mm -hmm. on this piece. If you're a nurse practitioner listening to this, I know that uh, I won't say words for Michael, but I feel very comfortable. Yeah. That it's it's within your scope immediately. I've never seen one that's not within their scope to clear that patient actually do that or PA and obviously clear the doctors. We're just talking about RNs and below, and even below RNs, some states LVNs have to have um, very um, specific training just to be able to do that, unlike an RN. So again, each level is going to affect that. So and 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 I know right now there's some there's an there's an RN or an RN to be uh, driving in their car thinking I want to open or I'm getting ready to open an IV bar that does you know hangover cures or whatever it is um, maybe there's a mobile element maybe there's not but it's really it's not meant to be anything more than than hydration right um, and they're right now going okay well what's the answer can I do it or not do it 
<laughs> like, and, and I know we always say, look, it depends. It's a gray area and it, and, and it is. And, um, so, and, and obviously the, the, the main thing is to, is to talk to, to, to an attorney who, who can address it. But th- th- that's always what I'm getting from people is like, I just, I'm like, what's the dang answer? Like, can I do it or not? And, and, and it's, it's so difficult to, to give anybody advice on that. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I did you say an LPN calling in? I mean, if you're below, RN, no, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about an RN. So like, let's 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 go with kind of the trickiest one, you know, an RN who 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 has the ability, has the skills, you know, to actually do it and do it and has done it and has probably done it many times, um, wants to do it on their own. My my inclination is that no, they can't, and it comes down to this: Do they have the scope of practice to make a determination that it's appropriate to put that into them? To, right. to put the IV in. And um, again, I will acknowledge that uh, there is a possibility that that answer could be incorrect and that we can get a nursing board that'll say it's within your scope of practice. You put in IVs your whole career, you got trained on it, you can do it. And if so, great. I'll be the first one in line to help them set up their business uh, with that backing from the mm-hmm. nursing board. But Um, that's what I keep coming down to is that, you know, ultimately someone has to look someone, a a patient that walks in the door and says that they want a treatment done and tell them and determine that they need it and it's appropriate. And uh, a registered nurse doesn't have that scope of practice. Yeah. It always goes back to independent judgment, Uh, um, independent judgment, decision-making that, it's not within their scope to be able to do that as an RN and below. And that's why you have to go get your advanced degree as a first nurse practitioner or a PA or a physician because those individuals have that ability to make that independent medical decision making while an RN below does not. And so to Michael's point, until I have a state that is and, – and, and I, if they ever do issue it, it may just be, yes, we feel comfortable, but it has to be just saline. Because, again, the moment you add the vitamins, guess what? You're compounding it in. And that could have a, a, a again, if you don't understand all the moving site. If your uh, scope of practice does not allow you to think outside of that, you could then be harming the person by giving them too much vitamin C or D or E or A, B or C, or the rest of the alphabet vitamins that you're providing to that individual. And then if you even go to a different direction, you start adding in some type of uh, mm-hmm. anti-inflammatories or other things for pain. That's another level. And so each level that you start adding into that is, again, it, it kind of going to your point, Michael's, you just started off with saline solution, but then you found this great place that you could buy um, compounds that have a lot more stuff into it. And now you're going to the next level because you can charge more. Mm-hmm. But now you're well outside of any safe, quote unquote, area that we can even make an argument for. Yeah. And then here's an added complexity is let's take the nurse practitioner. I think we're. Brad and I both are in agreement, and I think you are too, Alex, that it's not too controversial. It's within their scope of practice. They have their nurse practitioner has their IV bar, and they want to bring their you know EMT friend in to help to run the IV bags. Well, you have now this question of, well, can a nurse practitioner delegate that to an EMT? I mean, mm-hmm. oftentimes they perceive that the EMT has independent scope just to do it themselves as an EMT. And in reality, an EMT's license that they have doesn't 
fit in a practice setting. It really is. Yeah. It's not meaningless because it's meaning is they have training and experience doing it, but their license doesn't give them any authority as an MT. And so you're basically an unlicensed person mm-hmm. in that context. And so now you have to figure out, okay, well, in this state, can a, uh, in this example, a nurse practitioner bringing in an unlicensed person to uh, to do that. Is is there and and, and uh, Brad, I, I kind of danced around. I mean, I, I agree with with you. And and, I, and whenever I talk to folks about it, to me, it's always you know, it's a fairly simple, not simple. I mean, there's a gray to it, but it's the practice of medicine. You're someone's making independent judgments whether the patient needs you know, needs the IV. If an RN or below is doing it without that good faith exam, then, then there's some, some practice of medicine concerns there. Um, but it's different, I think, than maybe administering fillers or Botox or something like that, because there's, you know, you're not dealing as much with anatomy and, and blood vessels and things like that, that can, that can, that can be impacted to an extent. Is there, a model where you could say, all right, we're going to have our medical director draw up specific protocols and standing orders for folks to come into a freestanding IV clinic, brick and mortar, and just have an RN there following those standing orders, administering it. What's the, is that, you know, what's the risk profile there versus, versus, cause they do that in the hospital all the time. And we've had these conversations offline, but I'm, I'm, I'd love for folks to kind of hear your perspective on that. So I'll answer with an actual story that happened to a client of mine. Um, she is in Texas, and she was one to open up an IV bar on the near right off the river walk so that when people had indulged in one too many margaritas the next morning when they went to their, uh, to their next uh, conference, they would, could go get help. And we structured it where she has a physician come in via telemedicine to clear the patient. Yeah. But she'd been doing this forever, and the doctor is clearing is an ER doctor. Um, in this particular circumstance, this person came in and said, you know, totally hung over, went too hard last night, flushed. She did a, a physical examination. The person wrote it all up. Doctor came in and kept asking questions, kept asking questions and said, you're not hung over. You're suffering from a heart attack. And I recommend you immediately go to an emergency room. Hmm. And sure enough, that, that's what was happening. And so she said, she called me later because I had set her up years before this and thanked me for bringing, um, for setting her up that way because she said, I would not have realized if I was just following the typical protocols, it sounded like a hangover to me. Mm-hmm. But because this physician knew to look for additional pieces, it's, as she, as she said, it was it was eye-opening to her not to have realized what she didn't know. And that's my, my to your, your point is, yes, there are licenses out there that, you, you know, if you have a licensed facility, they have a lot more leeway than a typical private practice. And so you're, you're, you're going back to the risk assessment, which is if you have those protocols in place and you're just following it, you ask the right questions and you miss it, again, you're jeopardizing your license. So now let's go back to the story. She doesn't have the doc coming in telemedicine. Mm-hmm. He has a heart attack while she's giving him an IV. How does that look when the nursing board says, wait a second, where, where was the doctor involved in this? Mm-hmm. What, you know, oh, he had a protocol in place. But, well, did you ask those questions? Did you learn to look for additional things? So that's, again... All we're trying to do is protect everybody's license involved. We're not trying to crush their dreams. Well, Michael is. He likes to crush people's dreams. <laughs> but that, hey. that, that's why you know, it makes me nervous for them. But ultimately, yeah. it's their license they get to play with and not mine. Yeah. So um, ideally, to be on the, on the right side of, of the, the, the black line, you need to – 
have a physician or nurse practitioner PA involved doing that good faith exam before and making the, the order and the prescription, all that kind of stuff before the IV is administered. Um, one thing, and we're running short on time, so I want to, I, 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 but I do want to mention this. Um, one thing that's kind of popped up recently that is not really an issue in other areas of med spas and aesthetic medicine is is the pharmacy board aspect of it. We have seen the pharmacy boards from various states poking around um, at IV bars because of the fact that you're you're you know. If you look at going to a typical IB bar, they'll have a menu of things and it'll say, you know, you can get this, you can get this, you can get this, you can add this, you can add a booster, you can whatever it is, you all this stuff. Um, and then they either go back and they have the, pre, the preformed bags or they have to mix it themselves. Either way, either one of those brings on potential issues with with compounding and, 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 and pharmacy issues. And it's, it's something that I, I think a lot of folks don't think about when they, when they get into this, but, um, tell me a little bit about what you're hearing. And, and I know we're not going to get, we can't get into two specifics because it's, it'll, it'll, everyone's eyes will roll in the back of their head and they're driving. We don't want to cause any problems, but what's the, what's the lay of the land generally of with, with the pharmacy aspect and the pharmacy boards and, and, and how do they look at this? So the, each state's going to have their own rules as it relates to how how do you become a pharmacy, basically. Right. And then there's a whole different bunch of language surrounding that statement. And so some states are very unique in which, so Colorado is a state that has a lot of language as to how easily it is to, quote, become a pharmacy and, and or to act as a pharmacy. And as such, you need to be a licensed pharmacy. And the reason why I know that, I got pulled into a case there. And in that particular one was that the, this IV clinic was compounding, literally making the mixtures themselves at the clinic. And the way the Colorado law was written was that was violating the – they were acting as an unlicensed pharmacy. And the pharmacy board started the investigation. And so they're the ones that kicked it off because obviously some pharmacists probably reported it. Mm-hmm. But the point being is that you have to be very careful as to who's compounding it because – there are we learned what there's thirty thousand different pharmacies uh, in the United States that aren't part of the big the big yeah. chain stores, and so there could be a compounding pharmacy that you buy that from, uh, or there could be a, a, a chain in which you're buying it from is being compounded elsewhere. So generally speaking, that's to be that's pretty safe. And then, and again, not trying to kill everybody here, <laughs> there are medical rules that they can go into what can a physician uh, and sometimes PA nurse practitioner do as it relates to the mixtures they add into their cocktails, mm-hmm. um, you know, in either hospital setting or even private practice. So there is some conflict in law that's out there. It's not as perfect. But if you're out there and you're just an RN by yourself, you're out there and an entrepreneur by yourself, it's hard to point to the medical side saying, oh, you're safe over here. It's hard to point to the pharmaceutical side saying you're safe over here when you don't meet either one of those statutes. Hmm. Michael, what's the answer? <laughs> uh, call Brad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 uh, you know it's it's tricky because and, and this all goes to the kind of the business aspect, the margins aspect. How do you make money off this thing if you have to involve right. a compounding pharmacy? If you can't do things kind of ad hoc on your own, um, do you need to have a pharmacy on staff, a pharmacist on staff? And then you're talking about good faith exams and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the it it, it almost becomes an untenable situation. Yeah, and, and we, we've been blessed to have a lot of the, the franchises who want to move into the, uh, the IV world to, to work with us. And it is a, a, a learning curve for everyone, understanding what's the most compliant way to do this. And so, as you can imagine, telemedicine, 
NPs and these in some states RNs are a huge part of that process, um, being able to onboard that patient correctly, having all the information in there correctly, having a physician or nurse practitioner, sometimes PA, clear and or treat. So those are all part of it, but that goes to the scaling side, and we've been talking about that RN on the weekend, he's trying to make some extra um, dough, being able to run over to the, the local sorority fraternity house by giving out IV bags. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it just goes back to the risk side. And I know that everyone here at the end of this episode wants us to conclude that they're perfectly fine, but we can't do that for them because we don't have that guidance. And as Michael said, if the, the some state boards are really good at um, – uh, I'll give you an example. Arizona – if you submit a question to them, you can find in the minutes later. We go look up. There's times in which we've submitted stuff to the Arizona Nursing Board, and they've actually brought it up in hearings and, and made rulings. Mm-hmm. Other nursing boards or even medical boards, you ask them questions, they say, go read the statute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone, uh, anybody can read the statute. How they enforce it is the part that we care the most about. Well, wh- and, 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 and kind of final question, what is the enforcement atmosphere right now? Is it similar to what's going on with med spas? There's not a lot, but it's kind of, I mean, to me, it's, it's something that's out there that might come down the, down the pike later. I would even say it's less. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's kind of like med spas at the very beginning, yeah. the wild west, uh, no real enforcement yet. And, uh, and it may, it may be that way for a while. I mean, you made this reference earlier. It is, from a patient risk perspective, lower on the scale than a lot of other treatments. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's less of a likelihood that you're going to have one of these outlier events where where a patient's going to get hurt. And, uh, and that's usually what gets the ball rolling from enforcement's when people start getting hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An example I always use when someone asks me that, that question is we're well aware of, of RNs getting trouble with their nursing board when they're doing um, Botox and um, and uh, fillers without having any supervision right. um, and any uh, delegatory uh, authority to them, meaning that they skipped the good faith exam because we've been pulled into those investigations. But I, I can point to that as an example of states where they do care, but that wasn't an IV bag. So right. again, I don't have one I can just point to and we're always, always looking to see ways of how states react. But I don't have one I can easily point to that's public knowledge right. on, an, uh, on an IV situation. Well, I appreciate it. You guys have both um, once again made it more confusing than I was in the than in the beginning. So that's uh, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> um, no, it's it's uh, you know like everything, it's it's evolving. Um, but man, it's just like. We'd love some easy answers here once in a while. Like, just like, what about ketamine? That's easy, right? Everyone can do that. <laughs> what about uh, the magic mushrooms? Those those are legal in some states, though, right? You can grow. That. What's the What's the deal there? Um, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, full service wellness is what we're trying to do. Um, so, uh, all right, guys, uh, final thoughts, uh, bef- before we sign off, um, on, on anything, you know, is, uh, is Luca going to win the MVP this year? Uh, Mavs chances, you know, final thoughts on anything. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a race in Dallas between whether Luca or Micah Parsons with the Cowboys is going to be the greatest. I know Brad will vote for Luca because he can't stand the Cowboys. I don't say I can't stand them. I just don't cheer for them. Mm, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. Well said. 
<laughs> All right, guys, Thank I appreciate guys, it. Alex. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Michael Bird and Brad Adotto, legal team for AmSpa. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button, then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you in our next episode.